Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I am your host, Evan. And I'm your host, Zach. And Cody sure is sad to be missing this episode because we're talking about football. We're talking about 80 for Brady this yeah. week. But that's uh, honestly kind of a, a side note of what we're doing. What are we talking about before that, Zach? In in Cody's words, the the goat. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I've heard him oh, say that. Brady. That's true. Um. Uh, all right. So today's show, we got 80 for Brady, like we mentioned off the top. That's going to be our middle segment. Um, uh, we're starting out with a review and discussion of the latest M. Night Shyamalan film, Still Knock at the Cabin. Knock at the Cabin. Uh, and then we're going to close out with our much anticipated Sundance recap. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but a, we a did week late. <laughs> virtually attend Sundance this year. <laughs> Um, I don't very think prestigious we've ever film it. festival. Uh, this is our second, our second time um, doing this, so we're excited to talk about that. My third, yeah, take that. Um, yeah, so th- that's uh, the show today. It should be pretty packed with uh, with content for you fine folks. And with that, uh, let's let's dive right in. All right, Zach, we are going to start off with uh, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, I guess you could say M. Night Shyamalan has been prolific these days. He's making movies at a a pretty brisk pace. Uh, I don't know that we would call him uh, quite maybe the auteur that people would 10 years ago. I'm not I'm not sure where people uh, really kind of got off board with uh, M. Night Shyamalan, but I feel like it wasn't too long after... uh, you know, the, uh, the peak of, uh, you know, the six cents signs, that kind of thing. Uh, but he's back again. He just, he was with us a, a couple years ago with old. About a I like how you just called his first, his first, his dick directorial debut, like his peak. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong though? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So yeah. Um, so he's back after a couple years off with knock at the cabin. You want to explain what this film is? Yeah. Knock at the cabin. People old. Um, knock at the cabin. So if you've seen the trailer for this, you basically get everything you need to from the trailer. Uh, uh, Jonathan Groff, um, mm-hmm. is, is one of the, uh, central characters in this, him and his husband and their young adopted daughter are on a family vacation at a cabin. I think they're in Oregon. I want to say, um, mm-hmm. did they make ever make that entirely clear? I don't remember. It's like, or Washington. Yeah. I, they're no, they're in Pennsylvania. They are, I yes, think. they are. Yes, they're in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So, yeah, they're 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 on vacation at this at this remote cabin, mm-hmm. um, and they are interrupted by a group of, I guess you could say, religious zealots, mm-hmm. um, who thrust upon them this choice of having to sacrifice a member of their family to save the world from the coming apocalypse yeah i think that's a pretty good way to describe it and i I guess i would add that this is not a film if you hear that description you might be thinking like this is a sophie's choice kind of movie like they're making this difficult decision this impossible decision 
most of the movie is about them being convinced that this is something that they actually have to do, um, which I don't know. I We can get into whether that's the more compelling way to tell that this movie or not, but it's not necessarily that. It's, it really is more like the tension of like having to decide whether or not you have to make that decision. I think it's like a step before that. Yeah, because I mean, the 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 central premise is is sort of insane. Like, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're a victim of a home invasion. Number one is is intense and and traumatizing and uh, all on its own. And then amidst that, the people who invaded your home are telling you that they're portending like this the doom of humanity unless one of you chooses to like to die to say to save humanity um which you know we and and they make they make allusions to this in the movie that like that's that's such like a trope of of you know cults and and yep um some more like uh you know zealous religious um persons uh you know that that the guys on the street with the signs and the megaphones saying like <laughs> the the rapture is coming or you know repent or that and that kind of stuff yep. right like but taken just, to the extreme yeah yeah just a little bit nutty um <laughs> that no one really takes seriously so that that is sort of the the central conflict is one is is they don't even believe that 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 this choice has to be made. They, they feel like it's more they're being um, targeted because they are yeah because they're LGBTQ because they're couple. gay yeah, yeah. Um, that the that they're victims of of a, a hate crime in a sense, which is I, I will just say off the top, I did not care for this movie very much. Yeah, um, I think that was very sloppily handled. And yeah, and just the like, especially at the end, just the the completely like straight faced way that they're like, we don't have a homophobic bone in our body. Like we're just that's we're just trying to part. save you. <laughs> Let's just get right into it, because that's the weirdest part of that is that it's played for comedy. That's like, yeah, that's what all the homophobic people say is that mm. they don't have a homophobic bone in their body. But then it actually is played out to be like, no, this could be any couple, but it just happens to be you. And it's so yeah, the tone, the decision to do that, like it's of so all much the movies, like hate, hate the sin, not the sinner kind of, you know, it really is logic. one of these things where if like M. Night Shyamalan had decided to make one of the couples at the beach that make you that makes you old a gay couple, it would have played so much better than making this particular movie about that because it's about basically religious cultists and so and we'll we'll get into especially why that gets problematic but before we get into any of that um rupert grant one of the worst boston accents i've ever heard in a movie (laughs) (laughs) i just had to throw that out there to start yeah it's been a it was a it was a big week of of boston accents we got rupert grant in in this and then uh rob rob caudry and that one guy doing their their cats nation <laughs> uh yeah i mean we're gonna um, talk about that with uh with 80 for brady but i feel like there was really only like one character in, and it was lily tomlin's character that was trying to do a boston accent in that movie mm-hmm. and the rest of them were just like we're not even gonna bother i you know 
going back to Rupert Grint, yeah, not the greatest performance. I mean, he's he has a a, a relatively small role in this. Yeah. Um, not really necessarily stre- stretching a lot of a lot of acting muscles, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm 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 pretty sour on this one. I, I didn't I didn't enjoy it that much. Explain why. So uh, so this is a movie I got out of, and I will tell I will tell this uh, brief story, uh, which is when we left the movie theater. My girlfriend and I saw this together, and we're leaving the theater, and this group of people ahead of us are just like, "That was so good!" Like I I was so excited about that, and we kind of both looked at each other like, eh, "What?" But my perspective was that it was like. It's fine. M. Night Shyamalan has had, I don't, he's, I feel like he's dropped the ball worse, but you really dislike this movie. Um, why is that? I, I mean, I would say it's on like the same, on the same level as like old for me. I just, I thought that this was like the worst way to, to sort of tell the story and explore these themes. Um, the way that it ends just, it makes, it makes all of it like, just feels feel like so silly in, in a sense um just impossible impossible to take seriously and i think that it comes down to like the directing choices here right like and and the writing choices as well yeah it just it completely unravels in my opinion and i you know as we, if we like go into like a spoiler section we can maybe debate that a little bit but i I was just I found the whole experience aggravating. There 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 are some moments that are like tense and interesting um and even fun to watch maybe like you know mm-hmm. uh parts that are, are that are that are good um but just overall I I mostly was rolling my eyes at this. <laughs> so I I don't know, I had a different experience. I felt like for most of at least the first half of this movie it was doing this really delicate balance of, you know, intimidation and empathy. And I found that interesting. And, and obviously, uh, we'll talk about Dave Batista because I think he's getting a lot of deserved uh, plaudits for this movie. And I think his character uh, was Leonard. Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Leonard, yeah. Sort of encapsulates what this movie is. It's this group is here and they're intimidating, they're threatening, but what they're after is this like genuine belief in a cause a genuine belief that they're here to save humanity. And I think that for a lot of the movie, it comes across well, like I think a lot of the movie, it feels like you don't know kind of where it's going to go because there are these two sides that are so dug in and again, like Leonard is such a big guy. They have these weapons they are demanding something that is so uh, impossible to achieve. And I don't know, I, for me, I felt like that tension really, really worked right up until in classic M. Night Shyamalan fashion, it doesn't. Like right up until <laughs> it has to land the plane, uh, no pun intended if anyone's <laughs> seen this movie, but he just has such a hard time finishing off these things and I think the way this movie ends is just disgraceful for whatever it's trying to achieve. But so you don't want to put on your boogie shoes is what you're saying. I do not want to put on my boogie shoes. But I do think that as a piece of entertainment, I didn't feel like I was 
Like, I didn't feel like I went to this and was disappointed with, you know, what I was seeing for most of the time. You know, I was like, not on the edge of my seat, but was engaged in the film, was sort of following along with the, with the turns as they went. And I, I, you know, you know me, I'm usually, this is not usually my role on the podcast, man of the people, but I, I did enjoy myself for most of this movie again and we'll, and we'll get into spoilers about what does not work about the end of this movie yeah but i think I, I, did, I did feel like it was entertaining and it was you know the the tension and the idea that they had to make this choice or or had to at least consider it was interesting so i i, I think we should just move into that spoiler territory now because i <laughs> i feel like i i would just be sort of parroting myself if i tried to keep talking around the plot elements of this um, so if you're still, you know, someone who's going to go watch Knock at the Cabin and you care about that, what actually happens, the, the, you know, the classic M. Night twists and turns. Spoiler alert, M. Night Shyamalan plays a TV infomercial uh, guy. <laughs> he's, he's selling like a chop it, right? It's like some. Like, I think so. I thought it was something with like chicken. I'm, I'm, I was yeah, or like that. an air fryer, dude. Like, right. I think it was an air fryer. I think that's. Yeah. Like, I will say that the, uh, the TV sequences, like the news sequences and and tv excerpts that they were going were so realistic yeah quite the quite the reprieve especially because um the way like when and when a news segment cuts to footage that they've that they've gathered from like you know someone on the scene via like twitter or instagram or like some social media website where someone uploaded a video and then some intern is like hey can we use this you know without compensating you in any way uh that in this it's so cinematic that it's like that's definitely not how also you're wondering like where did they get that footage the person clearly yeah, it's like instantaneous it's like a live yeah. stream yeah um but also, it's really like, silly beyond that it's like they they go from coverage of one uh so there's these different i guess to, to set the, the stage is the this group is claiming that as um they don't choose to kill one of their family, there will be these events that start wiping out humanity. And the first thing that comes up on the TV is coverage of an old earthquake. But then there's a brand new earthquake that happens like right on the spot. <laughs> but then like literally two seconds later, they're like we're getting footage straight from the scene that someone recorded. And it's like, yeah, where did that come from? How did you get that that fast? Yeah, completely, completely ridiculous. Um, it's like instantaneous. They're like, okay, this event happened. Oh, now we're going to to a live feed of 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 you know someone on the scene, and it's like someone holding their phone, completely stationary for the most part of a forty fucking foot tidal wave. Like, yeah, you're going to die. And then and then it ends <laughs> that clip too with like them being engulfed in the water before it cuts back to the cabin, which is just <laughs> right. Like, like, how did that ever get sent to the news? Yeah, channel? exactly. Ridiculous. Oh man. But anyway, but carry so, on with the, the spoiler section here. So just, just going off the top, right. What, what really grates me about this is that this is such a clear allegory for Christianity and like a, 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 a kind of, you know, I squint, <laughs> um vision of, of modern christianity even uh it's very it's very clearly alluded to with with the you know the homophobic stuff we we mentioned earlier right. where they're like look we 
we don't care that you're gay, but also like your souls need to be saved and this kind of thing or whatever. And please like, you know, th- there's that. And then the whole, the whole premise of this is, is uh, just like, what if Christians were right actually? And as, as, as <laughs> someone who yeah, that's, is that's an issue, not, I'm not necessarily like, I don't know, anti-religious or whatever, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to judge someone for believing in. So you're saying Christ that you were going like to that. see Jesus revolution the first day it opens? No. <laughs> um, But I mean, uh, yeah. So, it's, but at the same time, I don't think that just because a, a genuine belief in something is not necessarily a justification for, enforcing your will on on others or denigrating others or you know passing judgment that kind of stuff and that's that's what this whole this whole movie almost seems like to serve as providing an excuse to do that like yeah oh it all all of our all of our means are are justified because we were right that the you know the world is will be cleansed for these reasons etc and you know that just didn't sit well with me and it's like so it seems like so 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 silly like just a, just a, a flimsy premise i guess mm-hmm. i don't know yeah ultimately i think i agree with that because i think there's two sides to the way i'm feeling about this movie basically, yeah ba- basically but, you ha- you have the the cultists in this case like on a pedestal because they are right and it it's only because they're right like if they you know if they had just did this because they had these these you know shared shared visions and they were completely in, in engulfed by these beliefs and and they truly believe that the world would end if that they didn't they didn't take these actions you can you can understand why someone would do that why you know a, a belief so strong like there there have been many incredible things achieved by humans who had a strong belief in something and also many terrible deeds perpetrated by by people who have these strong beliefs right like it's just mm-hmm. belief can be belief belief is a powerful thing it but it doesn't always it's it's not always serves as as a as a logical or, right, and this or movie doesn't moral justification and in this case it's 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 literally just that it's like what if what if they were morally justified to feel this way or to act this way and right. then to me that's just <laughs> like uh what's the word not not like not like childish but um amateurish in a sense i guess there's a word i'm not that's not coming to me right now but like you know it's 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 baby's first moral dilemma kind of thing like right you know yeah i i guess this is what i'm saying there's sort of two ways i feel about this movie and the first is that i think that whole idea of sort of like the trolley problem or the trolley dilemma is an interesting premise, right? And that's sort of what this is. It's this family is presented with a, with this choice between sacrificing all of humanity and sacrificing their family. And that in and of itself makes for an interesting movie. Uh, the whole idea of the cultists behind it also, sure, whatever, like, and and I think what makes this movie tense and interesting for the beginning part of it is a lot of what's happening around it is these people are so sure of what's happening. But then in addition, these other events are happening outside of 
that that are making the audience and the, the family question whether they're telling the truth or not. And I think that middle area where we're not sure and they're not sure, where they actually have to grapple with, is this real? Is this not? What responsibility do we have? What don't we? Like, that is very interesting, just as a premise outside of even, like, viewing it through a religious lens, which is, I agree, difficult not to do, um, especially with the way they position, again, a gay couple at the center of it. But then, again classic M night at the end there, like instead of just making it ambiguous, instead of them getting out of the cabin and fleeing, like it has, there has to be some resolution. And at the end of this movie, they pull into a diner and all of the catastrophes that were predicted by this cultist group are subsiding after they do this. Like, so all of the things they predicted came true and then their prediction for how to stop it came true. And it's just like, yeah, no, this this takes away all of the tension of the movie. The entire, like, proposition that you are getting at is, would you make this decision with your own family if you're not 100% sure that this is what's happening? And then they make it 100% clear what's happening. And it's just, it takes all the air out of, I think, what was a pretty tense and interesting movie before that. Yeah, I definitely think that this movie would have a lot more bite if it didn't was an ambiguous ending, like sort of almost something like, you know, you could have done like a riff on The Graduate where you just have the camera on them, like yes. in, in front of the windshield of them driving away in this truck, having just questioning the decision they made. Yeah. And, and one of, you know, one of their family is now dead at the yeah. hands of, 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 uh, in this case, like it's a father and daughter, right? So, your father killed your other father and like they both they both have to live with this right so yeah can we also just say that the the better father died yeah yeah true um i I thought jonathan groff was pretty decent in this movie i love jonathan groff like i i I really like him in uh pretty much everything that i've seen him in um frozen like mindhunter Mind Frozen. Uh, I, I haven't watched enough of uh, Mindhunter. Is he the main guy in Mindhunter? He's one of them. He's one of the... Yeah, I, I can picture young. right now because I only watched a couple episodes of that. But I, I think he's good in Hamilton. Like, he's very funny in the mm-hmm. limited role he has in that. Um, uh, the other the other guy, Ben Aldridge, um, who I understand is playing a difficult role here as sort of like the angry... The, the I, He literally, they express it in the movie, the father with the anger issues... And, it's just surrealist, uh, okay. But my goodness, the uh, the character of like my entire personality is being pissed off all the time is yeah, it's very grating. And when you decide to end your movie as like him being the one that survives, that is um, there's a it lot so, to ask your audience to sit through. I think I think probably the most generous like viewing of this of of this movie is exactly what you're saying. What you enjoyed the most out of it is, is contemplating like if I was, if I was confronted with this choice, right. And the yeah. perspective of, of the fathers um, having to choose, you know, one of them, one of them to sacrifice themselves. But it's so funny that like the implication of that then is that, and they, they actually, there is some dialogue about why they're chosen in yeah. where 
I don't remember if it's Leonard that says it or um, Jonathan Groff's character has a vision of, of some some beam of light in the shape of yeah. a person. And well, he has a concussion, which again is nice world building where it's like the doubt that they're building in that scene. Right. It's not followed up on. But so then but so the the line that I'm that I'm talking about or the, the dialogue is he literally says like, oh, I understand why we're chosen or I can't remember if Leonard is saying this to them, but basically they they come to believe that they were chosen because their love for each other and their love for their daughter is so pure, like, you know, like a rainbow or like a unicorn or something. Right. And the implication there being that uh, that the the entity at the other end of this god in this case, it demands the sacrifice of something so of, of something that pure to not right. damn humanity is so funny to me because like. Obviously, that's that's a parallel to to Christ, like his you know his his begotten Son that he he you know they pinned all the sin in the world on on him and then right. um, was uh, was put on the cross and and paid all of our debt or whatever, right? Right. But Christ like knew that, like that that was like something that was like known. And in this case, you you created someone that's <laughs> forced upon them, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and allowed them to have. You know, the attachments to to Earth and to people that that you know, while Christ struggled with his own execution, and, you know, and, and, and contemplated in the garden, this, this is just like a normal person. It's like just like going off the street, you know, and being like pointing a gun at someone, saying, you know, will you kill this person to save the, all of the world? And the to me, it's just is is so hilarious like I, I could not take this movie seriously yeah oh, of course and and i think that's maybe the suspension of disbelief that i was like all right that's you know whatever is going on in this movie that's fine and i think maybe it's is a good time to bring um bring in dave batista to this because i do agree with sort of the general consensus that like he's good in this i think i think it's kind of the right casting of course right like dave batista is this imposing figure he's he's a large man and he's uh he's breaking into this house but the way he sort of undercuts that intimidation throughout the film is what makes it feel more i guess genuine and i i don't know again it gets ridiculous in in the point where i i think at the end when jonathan groff is trying to convince uh ben aldridge to kill him He's like, they're not home invaders. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they're like, and he like, and it's just so trite and ridiculous that I did. I I agree that I got taken out of the movie entirely in that. But I do think that even early on, like making it a gay couple and these like zealots coming in and telling them these things and that sort of balance of distrust is something that I think can be the template for an interesting movie and I do think this movie is interesting for a stretch of time I just again I wish it was more complete throughout the whole thing but I I I don't know you you rated it very lowly and and I'm just interested to hear like I know you've gone over the, the your problems with the movie but did you not feel like before it kind of went off the rails that it was doing something with the tension that like M. Night Shyamalan can create tension in his films. We yeah, absolutely. I mean, bef- before, before you get to like the, um, 
I guess sort of before you get to the uh, the point where it's it's very clear that that they're going to be right all along, you know, right? Um, they're they're even though there's like seeds of doubt where uh, it's been Ben Aldridge's character is pointing out, you know, like oh the, this broadcast is from four hours ago, like they're they keep checking their watches, like all this stuff. But it becomes pretty clear. It becomes evident that that no, they're actually right. The world is ending. Like they do need to make this choice, and so yeah, I think the tension there then just goes out the window. Um, yeah. And there's just like a couple of of, I guess, pitfalls for me that that I've I've already th- that I've already kind of discussed. Where absolutely there is a a an avenue that this could have gone down at, at specific points that would have made it much more interesting and ambiguity here, I think is, is more powerful than, than, Agreed. uh, and it's crazy. Cause that M. Night Shyamalan is not necessarily like one to shy away from ambiguity in his films. Like I know he's, a, he's the big twist guy, but you know, he does like to not let you know where he's going for a lot of the time and to end it so decisively, that like yeah we save the world like that's I, I don't know it it sends a lot of just bad vibes through this movie yeah I agree and yeah just just a, just a, a a few too many missteps yeah um I don't what did you think of uh, of Dave Batista in this film because I mean he's again I know I I appreciated his performance but. This is something that I've seen reflected. I, I think this movie is getting fairly middling reviews around, you know, uh, critically from audiences, the whole thing. But Dave Batista seems to be the one that's coming out of this like, oh, yeah, like this guy. This is it. Like, this is the role that he is showing that he can yeah. really do like I mean, that. I, I think he's fine. Um, I think he's fine in this. Uh, his performance is 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 um as good as it can be i would say with given mm-hmm. given the material but honestly and i know you weren't a, a huge fan of um uh blade runner 2049 but there's nothing i'm seeing here in knock at the cabin that wasn't on display for his very very small role he's <laughs> it's only so on brief. he's only on screen for a few minutes but he's able just to communicate so much depth and emotion yeah. um and almost like a almost like a stoicism that that's clearly present in his performance here. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think, you know, it, I, 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 after ever, after having seen 2049, I would, I would say that I knew that, that Batista was capable of something like this. Yeah. I think he's good in glass onion too, but I, I think, uh, that's more of a comedic role. I would right. Say. But like the, the range he's got is, I, you know, people think of him as Drax and I think there's more to Dave Batista than. Well, yeah, there's also Stuber. So, so there is Stuber. If you haven't seen Stuber guys, <laughs> you've got to check it out. But <laughs> I, I think it's one thing to do the 2049 thing in a, a performance that lasts what, five minutes at most. Yeah. I would right. say around there. Yeah, and and doing something like this that is an entire film almost. Uh, I think there's a, there's a, a bit after um, he perishes in this film, but I think he's showing a lot here. That uh, I I don't know. I thought I thought it was a pretty impressive role. 
or impressive performance, I guess. Yeah, not bad. Just sort of fine. I think he's the best one in the movie. I mean, I think Jonathan Groff's oh, easily, yeah. Too. But yeah, there's there's a lot of bad performances in this movie too, which also doesn't help for like evaluating the good ones. Uh, any other thoughts that you want to get out there about uh, Knock at the Cabin before we move on? No, I'm I'm good. I think. I mean, I've said I've said everything I, I have about this one. Yeah, uh, I think my only other thought is I do appreciate that when they finally get to the decision, which again, you'd think that the most interesting part of a movie like this is like they finally accept that they have to make this decision and how do they decide? And that's like almost an afterthought in this film. Uh, but I do appreciate that they'd like, there was never any consideration for the kid. They're like, yeah, the kid has to live. Like it's gotta be one of us kind right, of thing. Right, right. Yeah. And that, that I did, did appreciate, but, uh, Anyway, beyond that, uh, let's do the uh, Letterboxd Roundup. Zach, what are you giving this film? One and a half. That is... Pretty, pretty low. Wild to me. I uh, I went three stars, which I, I guess I understand is on the higher end of things. But I really do think this movie works pretty well right up until it doesn't. And then, you know, it unravels a lot of things. But I do think, like there is a lot of good work done up until that point. Would you watch it again? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't like put it on myself, but if it was on at some event I was at, I would be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. Whatever. Like I would watch like it without any casual, problem. Just some casual social gathering where everyone's yeah, watching. Exactly. Knock at the cabin. Knock <laughs> the cabin. <laughs> no beach that makes you old. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, Zach, we are here to talk about uh, maybe the worst movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> 84 Brady. We already talked about it. The worst movie ever made. <laughs> what is, you know, let me tell you what 84 Brady is. It's a movie about um, a glorious football team that had a two score lead the end of the fourth quarter in field goal range. And instead of deciding to, you know, run the ball, or kick a field goal they decided to go for it and uh it it went poorly and and it's just so unrealistic it's it's a ridiculous film um the falcons are made to look like fools in it um i don't appreciate this <laughs> i mean i think blowing what was like a 28 to 3 lead 28 to 3 yeah it, yeah it definitely makes you look like a fool regardless it, stings. Of it still stings i gotta say else. as an atlanta falcons fan i did not want to see this film because any other super bowl you know any other brady win i would have been fine with but this one this one hurt a little bit <laughs> <laughs> what is this movie about go ahead all right so we all know the legendary tale of the blown falcons lead at the 2017 <laughs> super bowl um yeah 20 to 3 and uh, blew it 
this movie apparently inspired by a true story which i had no idea I, you know it's it's difficult to discern how much of this is true no there's none of this at all is true i think I, I four think women the ladies did get to go in the locker room so i think at least a brief snippet of it is true okay uh, what's like the over under on did one of them actually write erotic gronk fan fiction i, th- I think the under uh, might win there <laughs> so again all right 80 for brady is is just a story of of four women uh in their 80s well actually one of them is 75 so three women in their 80s and one <laughs> one in her 70s I think um, Rita Moreno's character says she's also not in her 80s because Rita Moreno is like 91. So good for her. Uh, I don't, I didn't remember that. Um, just, just Sally Field making a point that she's not in her 80s. Yes. And, uh, but so it's for, for, you know, for women who have been friends for a long time and sort of have a, a, a rich friendship. And one of their central traditions is, is watching the Patriots. Um, you know, it's hard because to say uh, Jane Fonda's character, um, not Jane Fonda's was, character, Lily Tomlin's character. That's right. Yeah, uh, was was going through <laughs> um, chemotherapy and started watching the the Patriots play football sort of by accident due to a broken television remote. Yes, but then it became this sort of um, you know communal weekly gathering uh, for them to to watch their favorite team and their favorite uh, player, Tom Brady lead, lead the paths to win after win, et cetera. Uh, and in sort of the twilight of their life, they, they've always talked about going to the Super Bowl or, or, you know, and, and uh, seeing, seeing Brady win. Um, and uh, sort of her sort of feeling like it's her last chance. So she forces them to join a contest to win tickets, which they do. And then they go to, uh, to Houston to watch the Super Bowl, and they—it's just a whole misadventure. Yeah, a lot, a lot of nonsense, a lot of goofiness. Yes. Um. Yeah. Let, in- let's get let's get into it because uh, so you are going to hear my letterbox rating of this movie, but I think it's not a fair assessment of the movie. Like I am personally hurt by this film, but I would say that like. Just as a typical, I don't know, there, there's a lot to say about this movie, but as as just sort of like a typical, like older people going out on a high, like not, not even going out, they don't, nobody dies in this movie, I should say, but like, as it's just like, we've got to do something with a, like the rest of our lives. Like it's, it's a classic trip, like Last Vegas, I'm trying to think is one of them, or like anything morgan freeman's been in in the last five years the bucket uh, list or something the like bucket that. list sure it's just like we're old let's it's let's... funny because it, it's it's sort of a genre that that is not does not only apply to you know uh old old characters but also like young characters you know it's very yeah. much in the same vein as something like super bad or book smart as well you just have this this group of people who don't really like party or yes. you know, act hedonistic in any way, just sort of cutting loose and and trying to prove something to themselves about themselves, or you know, do do something that they've always wanted to in in sort of like a a, a blaze of glory type type of right. um, um, adventure. 
And so that's what we have here. Yes, and it gets into some ridiculous depths, but uh, like all in the the name of comedy, so it's not it, it's forgivable. Like the the ridiculous lengths that they go to here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, I didn't love it. I, I I liked it. I thought it was quite funny in some instances, and it could it's if you're not an Atlanta fan, it's so completely inoffensive. Um, and if you are an, if you are an Atlanta fan, Atlanta I'm fans. sure it's, I'm sure it's traumatic and opens some, some old wounds you'll have to unpack in therapy. But as far as, as far as, you know, films go, exactly. They were up 28 to three. This could have been, I don't know if you understand this. 20, this could have been, this could have been a lot, this could have been a lot worse. And I mean, like if I think back to the movies that were releasing in, in February of last year or late January, you get something like the three, five, five, like this is totally fine. And you know what? Three, five, five in theaters, you would be singing a different tune, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no, it's, it is. You're right. It's fine. There, there are a lot of funny moments, you know, Uh, Lily Tomlin's character has like an ongoing dialogue with inanimate Tom Brady objects. Like, uh, his image on a TV screen or his bobblehead. Like she has conversations with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rita Moreno's character is um, sort of lecherous in an interesting and funny way. Um, it, it's all very fun. Uh, and then of course, Guy Fieri features classic prominently in this, in this film uh, in a lot of ways that are pretty funny. So like, I think it is one of these movies, like you said, it's a February release. Um, it's meant to be a little bit ridiculous, but they, they go for that. They go into the ridiculousness of this film and it's, it's fun to that degree. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, for, for this sort of venture, I think they do, they do a good job of like having each of these characters have like a distinct, personality and mm-hmm. backstory and uh, even as as thin as these character arcs are for other, for everyone other than Lily Tomlin like they they do resolve cleanly in in my opinion like this you know it's, sort it's of, all I guess. it's all fine I, I mean so uh, so we have Jane Fonda's character is literally like I wish men weren't so attracted to me is her whole thing and it's like well I mean that's that's a pretty ungenerous way of of communicating what she actually is struggling with yeah but but uh she 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 learns to like uh, you know appreciate the value that she does have and to sort of you know not rush into things with with men and and uh becomes a a a celebrated and beloved author of erotic gronk fiction and gronkowski does have a a brief cameo here which is i think the funniest of the different uh football player cameos that that happened in this movie Mm -hmm. he is he's got a knack for that kind of thing um you you don't want to know what's offensive you want to know what is ungenerous is uh saying that the uh professional football uh team and the professional uh coaching staff of the Atlanta Falcons could be outdueled by uh Sally Field a casual uh Patriots fan that that's casual, okay not, ca- not casual at all <laughs> and she was a professor of mathematics at MIT 
Okay, so this is a woman with a deep understanding of statistics. <laughs> she breaks into she the fucking Patriots she video she moneyballed room. you guys. She fucking <laughs> went moneyball on your God fucking ass. All right, it. I would, I might feel better actually if that was a true story about what happened. <laughs> <laughs> this I, oh. I, I don't know. Like this movie, there's no. I, I think that's so funny to me too. Like just like you know, it's like such a Forrest Gump thing where it's like someone completely oblivious to any consequences <laughs> that that their actions might create right yes um uh completely changes the outcome of 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 a of, of the super bowl hilarious yeah. and i i i genuinely like Sally Field um as an actress and in this movie particularly her character is my favorite by far she's just so like nerdy and kind of yeah. like i i thought rita moreno was great in this um she is pretty good she, she's Her, having the, such a good time the, and, and the poker and doing all of this at like 91 years old is pretty yeah. impressive as well uh i mean i'm sure we i don't know if we mentioned it in the west side story review we did um a couple years ago but yeah like that she is still just like at this level i mean this is obviously a different kind of movie than that but it's impressive yeah, definitely. Uh, um, for for all of them, I mean, it, it's just it's funny, and I I don't think we can we can talk about this without without uh, talking about um sort of this phenomenon that we witnessed, very much akin to uh, I, Top yeah, Gun Mavericks release go last year. Yes. Um, tell 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 the people what happened, Evan. So this is crazy to me. Like this is insane. Uh, this is a movie I I think I had been avoiding or uh trying to ignore because i knew it was going to be about this thing and you know just as even a a side note i was i remember watching the super bowl my team the falcons up and uh, i remember my uncle was like ah i don't want to watch any more of this when they were up 28 to 3 and i was like no this is the falcons they're they're gonna find a way to 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 screw this up and and they did but that's not the story you're asking for so i was trepidatious going into this film uh but you know for the podcast had to do it uh my girlfriend Anna and I we went to uh we went to try to see this on last Saturday and we get up to the uh the register we're there uh maybe a couple minutes before the listed screen time which anybody who goes to you know just like a standard movie theater would know is not really usually a problem right you go up to a to the counter order your tickets there's lots of seats available. This wasn't even the opening day. This was a couple days later. Uh, we get there and they're like, um, it's a little tight in there is, is exactly what they said. And uh, they show us the screen and it's, I think, two different seats spread out behind the first row and then the entire front row um, available. And we're like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. Like, what the heck? And then uh, we're like, well, we'll go see it tomorrow, right? So... You go with us uh, the following day, this Sunday, um, to go see it. And when we parked to go see this movie, you could just see, like, this stream of older women, some of them in football jerseys, streaming towards the uh, to, towards the theater. And we're just like, wow, that's crazy. We had bought our tickets in advance, knowing what we'd gone through before. But even when we were in line to buy popcorn for this film, for 80 for Brady... There were people in front of us getting turned away from the the showtime that we went to see uh, because it was so popular. Like, not since Top Gun Maverick, I think, 
has there been a film that has been so difficult to uh, get into at the last minute uh, that has been so widely attended? And I think that's just a testament to maybe the advertising that has been done. Like there is a, a niche for this kind of film of, again, like older people, older women, especially, uh, you know, living out experiences and things like that. And you could see it in, in you know, some of the demographic of, of the group that was going to see it. But just in general, like the attendance of a film like this, I I don't know. I was astonished. What did you think of that whole experience? I mean, I think I I think it's funny to observe, you know, as young dudes. But it's just a testament to these women's careers, right? Like they've they've had decades long careers, and people recognize them for their past work. And there's an there's an element of nostalgia, and also just this kind of like casual fun adventure movie, especially if you know. Yeah, an uh, under, in, in underrepresented demographic, I would say, in terms yeah. of dramatic or or even comedic releases in a given year. Um, so it was cool. I mean, and our theater was basically sold out. Almost the, the, again, the same thing where it was like maybe the front row was open, but there was all kinds of people in there laughing and cheering and just having a good time. Like just a good good movie watching vibes. Um, and like I said, I I like I like this one and. Uh, especially Rita Moreno's um, Guy Fieri sequence, <laughs> and even Sally, Sally Field's Guy Fieri sequence. Yeah, just great. Just, just Guy Fieri, the stuff, after our generation. Yeah, the next day, Batista. Um, yeah, let's. I don't know. The, the, again, not the most deep film. Uh, why don't we round it up? Sure. I think I gave this three right down the middle. Half a star, you know, it's so unrealistic that the team would be up 28 to 3 and would blow the lead that, that much. Listen, Ridiculous. I mean, can't, couldn't buy into the premise just based on that alone. Yeah. Okay. This, this is from someone who's been to Flavortown, right? Like, you, oh, I, I, I've been to the downtown to the restaurant. Let me tell you, buddy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Guy Fieri comes out innocent. Come on, man. All right, Zach, so we are going to close out uh, with a section we promised a week ago, but we did attend Virtual Sundance uh, a couple weeks ago at the end of January, and uh, we want to talk about it. We want to talk about some of the films that we uh, that we saw. So I don't know, how would you like to go about this? Uh, do you have any any thoughts? Uh, we saw, what, 10 films? Some of them yeah, were award winners. 10 movies. Uh, should we... Talk about our favorite films each individually first. Why don't you will you start out with uh, whatever you thought was the best film? I think I, um, I don't have your list in front of me, but I think our our number ones might be the same. Uh, is a movie called Shada. Shada was my number two. Okay, but it's close. It's like almost you know, de- different movies, very different movies. Yeah. Um... Shada, number one for me, this is a story of a an Iranian um, immigrant in Australia, a mother who is escaping her, well, yes, trying to, trying to separate from her yeah, very much husband, to. and um, it has 
taken refuge in, in a woman's shelter um, and is trying to navigate a uh, complicated divorce um, and, and, you know, keep her, her young daughter safe. Uh, incredible movie, really, really incredible dramatic feature. Um, this was the, the audience award winner, I think for the dramatic competition, which mm-hmm. is why it was available to us. Um, and, and much, much deserved. I, I can see exactly why, why it was. Imagine the world cinema audience award winner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely one of the award winners. I'm just not sure yeah. which one. Yeah. Uh, excellent film. I agree. Uh, I, I think it is an interesting portrait of not just like what it's like to be an immigrant under those sort of circumstances too, but just trying to be a person in the world when, you know, when the way she interacts with the world, with her daughter, um, what responsibility she owes to her daughter obviously is like central to this film, but also what she owes to herself and, you know, finding community and, and friendship throughout the film. Like, I I don't know. It it very much was, like I said, it was my second ranked film, but I think, uh, I gave it the same rating as my first ranked film. Um, really, really good movie. I, I'm not sure if it's found a distributor yet, but I really hope that, uh, that it does. Yeah, and um, definitely that it would be so exciting to for this to get a theatrical release or even just a small limited release. Um, the more people that can that can watch a, a picture like this is just is going to be good no matter what. I mean, it's it's such a a powerful movie, um, and and certainly like any movie that can take an experience like this and give you the ability to empathize with these characters and, and give you like a sense of understanding um, of what that situation is like and like how, how terrifying and also exciting. And like, you're, she's sort of like reclaiming herself and her life. Yeah. There's so much potential there um, for good and for bad, but uh, just an excellent film, I guess moving on to. Well, I I think also we should say that, um, I, I know we're we're talking about our, our favorite films from the festival, but we watched this right after watching a film Persian called The Persian Version, Version which is also about um, an Iranian, uh, to, to some degree, about an Iranian uh, immigrant and her daughter, uh, told more from the perspective of the daughter as an adult, um, kind of reconciling with her mother's experience as an immigrant. Um, to, I, I think, much less effective degree. But, like, watching those two back-to-back, like, it is so interesting to see someone who is uh, in a similar situation. The director of Shada is the daughter of an Iranian immigrant. I think herself an Iranian immigrant. Yeah. Uh, so as a young child. Like Shada, yeah. Shada was inspired by the director's own personal experience. Um, with right. The, and to see her father. grapple with yeah. What not only what she went through, but what her mother must have been going through at the time, I think is it's a much more mature film, a much more understanding film. And I, I think for me yeah. it was one of the highlights of uh, of the festival as well. Yeah, the Persian the Persian version is a little more reverent mm-hmm. and, and kind of 
really dissonant in tone at points. Uh, also, you Absolutely. know, pretty, pretty, some, a lot of, a lot of w- was fun and, and comedic in some ways, but yeah, definitely seemed to lack a, a, a level of confidence that, that Shada has and, and, and lacked a, a, maybe an understanding of what in that story was, I don't want to say interesting because I think like it's, it's a personal film one way or another. But like, I, I think a lack of understanding of what is powerful cinematically about what, right. uh, what yeah. the story was telling. And, and there a are bit, moments a... that work in that film, but like it is not built around the thing that is as compelling, I guess. Right. And yeah, a little bit unfocused narratively to, to a point where it's distracting. Um, it, it, it tends to kind of you cut from something that's interesting to something that, that kind of goes on for a while. And it's just like mm-hmm. less interesting, I guess. Um, still uh, an effort. I would applaud any, any of these movies, even if they're not. Right. Uh, the personal story, like it takes a lot of effort to put that to the screen. And I yeah, think it's really brave. Is, yeah, exactly. To tell your own story is something for large audiences like that, especially like is always going to be, um challenging and and present its own difficulties as well uh so the film that i had rated the highest is a, is a film called theater camp and what was your number one that was my number one because i mean excellent movie but i, I think a it's surprising number one i don't know I, again it's it's same rating i think i gave four stars to shada and four stars to theater camp but i think for me like theater camp is just so relentlessly on its tone and so dedicated to the comedy that it is presenting. So for me, it was just like, I, I found this movie hilarious. I found the characters to be ridiculous, but yet grounded in a certain way. Even the way, um, so so a lot of it revolves around this final, um, it, it's about kids at a theater camp, obviously. Um, and And those different personalities and the way they clash. But I think it sort of coalesces around this final performance, which is an original play about like the owner of the theater camp uh, to try and save the theater itself, uh, which happens in ridiculous ways itself. But there is this uh, like buildup around the songs that are going to be in this film that are ridiculous until they're like super heartfelt and winning. And I think this is one of those rare movies, uh, maybe like all a, a book smart or something. That's a comedy that also finds its way to be really grounded and heartfelt in, in its telling. Um, I had such a good time watching this movie and obviously it's not the same sort of dramatic anchor or like anchor is a bad word to use for it but like a the dramatic um weight sort of film yeah like Mm -hmm. that it doesn't carry the same weight as like a a, a film like shada does right but it 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 does what it's seeking out to do like it it achieves the comedic purposes that it's a it's a attending to um so well i completely agree Uh, theater camp is relentlessly funny um probably my favorite watch of the festival like in terms of the, the experience of watching it it's just mm-hmm. just 
my my exact sense of humor and i'm I, i'm not a theater kid in in any sense like i didn't do any any drama in, in yeah, school you don't have or, to or otherwise but yeah you don't you absolutely do not have to be um a completely redemptive performance for ben platt off the back of dear evan Hansen. Hey, hold on have you even seen dear evan hansen yes i have yeah oh, god I, I feel sorry for you too um but theater yeah theater camp is so fucking funny uh and uh, to briefly just go over what it's at, what it's about you mentioned um there is a a beloved uh drama it's a mockumentary i think we should yes. draw it's, first. it's a drama this the, the drama coordinator the director of this camp um i don't remember her actual name she's played by uh amy sedaris joan joan yes, because joan, joan still by... is the name of the musical joan still yeah, but so this this beloved camp director played by Amy Sedaris uh, is the, is the, is set to be the subject of this documentary, and then she goes into a coma like three days into filming because of some uh, freak accident involving a strobe light. Um, but the documentary <clears throat> presses on while her you know out of touch son Jimmy uh, Tatro right becomes it's yeah yeah ridiculous in this movie becomes so funny. becomes the director of this camp and yeah they just get up to hijinks it's really funny um, Molly Gordon and uh, Nick Lieberman directorial debut mm-hmm. um, so so very funny and uh, I, I think really enjoyed this one the this decision one, to present this movie as a mockumentary and like. The way they go about doing that actually does show a degree of directorial competence. Yeah, it's well. extremely. Like, I think it's extremely successful. And yeah, like, I, I do think there is a like a directorial vision in this movie. Actually, like uh, to give it that higher rating, it, there has to be. But like, it is. It really is. I really do think that they they find a voice with this movie that it needed to be as entertaining as as funny as impactful as it is. Yeah, just I just completely agree. Theater camp, uh, my number three of of the festival. What was your number two? Sometimes I think about dying. Good film. This was uh, this was uh, Anna's favorite film of the. Uh, Anna, you want to say anything? No, she doesn't. She doesn't want to say anything. Um, but she, this was her favorite. It also a very like differently funny movie, like funny but in a grim, dark way. Yeah, that's that's exactly my my type beat right there. A grim funny, you yeah. could say. Um just absolutely bleak, but but so fucking funny in just these little like um th- there's just these little touches of of everyday like familiarity, especially mm. if you work a job that uses Slack or is kind of like just an just office job in general. Corporate monotony and and yeah. how oppressive it is. That that's exactly the word I was going to use too. Is like the oppressiveness of like just the corporate environment. This yeah. movie captures the the like grimly comic aspect of that. Yeah, it's very much like water cooler talk of your nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. Uh, some some of my favorite parts of this movie are we're focused on our main characters who are having a distinct conversation and you just hear a little background dialogue of like you know oh this person is is having this experience or whatever like have you tried this restaurant chain or something like that like (laughs) yeah like it's just the most ridiculous in like mundane conversations in the background that just give it this this sense of of like true to life uh, of 
you know. <laughs> yeah. What's so impressive about this this movie, um, again, one that I think for me as well was was pretty high up. I think also it was my third uh rated film of the festival, is the way in which it I, I don't know, it it feels so uncomfortable. Like it takes you out of your skin in that way of um being like, you know, this office setting or you know, going on a date and it's it's awkward, this whole thing. But at the same time, it is so pinpoint focused on this feeling of exclusion and loneliness and like is so relatable in that way that I, I just I found this movie really fascinating. Yeah. And I, so that absolutely true that that is depicted and like explored and also absolutely skewered and in, in the sense of like it's mm. almost self-imposed you know what i mean like yeah. the way that's that there's a level of like self-isolation and, and unwillingness to engage um with experiences that might be foreign to you or to try and form an attachment with another person out of out of fear i suppose um daisy ridley i mean such a great performance i think it's good i i think she's sort of just quiet and almost like bookish in that performance that it doesn't require like it's not a big performance but i do right but i mean this is we're talking this is ray from star wars you know like sure this is a this is a person who we we have only seen in a completely different light that that is like the the you know the leading the leading role in a blockbuster trilogy giving this quiet um sure. sort of humble performance and it's just a completely different tonally from anything I, i've seen her in uh and right. uh, i think you know fran is just iconic good uh, good, I, I good performance it. but i you know i was honestly even more impressed by uh dave merheji's performance who uh you know anyone who has seen the show rami would know mm-hmm. him as uh, as one of Rami's uh, buddies in the in the show, but I think he, as someone who maybe isn't going through the same things that um, that Fran is, and who is pursuing her romantically, like I think that is an interesting balance that he strikes. I I think he's very good in this film. Yeah, he he's really great, and I love I love him in Rami too. Like Rami is my first experience, you know, seeing him on on screen. And uh, he's great in that show. Really, yeah, very, very good show. That is true. Um, um, as we go through Sundance, I, I don't want to spend too much time. I mean, obviously, very good movie. Um, I think all of those films, Theater Camp, Shada, I, sometimes I think about da- uh, dying, like, are going to get releases broadly. Theater Camp was actually already acquired by Searchlight. Oh, that that makes sense. And I hope to see it in a theater. Um, I think... So we talked about magazine dreams already. Um, we could talk about Mama Cruise, I guess. Um, well, I mean, just to give a brief overview, here's all the the titles that we saw. Yeah. Um, this is in this is my order, my ranking order. So for number one, we Shada. Sometimes I think about dying. Theater Camp. Number four, Radical. Then Magazine Dreams. Then a film called Bad Behavior, and then Shortcomings, Mama Cruise, The Persian Version, and Cat Person. Um, I don't think our lists are too much different from each Mostly other. Mostly pretty similar. Um, yeah. We had a pretty big difference on bad behavior. 
which we can get into. Um, but let's talk about Radical real quick. Like, I don't want to spend too much time on any one of them. Um, it's a, about um, Eugenio Debrez uh, is a teacher who is, um, you know, working in sort of a bad part of Mexico. Is yeah, I think like the, one of the, the poorest of the film. Yeah. yeah, where students don't really go to school most of the time. Um, there's a lot of gang activity. This is This is all present in the film. Uh, but he, you know, has a different approach to teaching and his students succeed and that kind of thing. It's something we've seen before in, you know, things like Stand and Deliver and the Dead Poet Society, that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, it's good. Like he's good in it. Um, there's, there's a lot about boats, about why boats float, I would say. But like it is, I, I think, um, I think that was one of the audience award winners. And uh, a good movie. Like, I think that is going to get picked up by somebody uh, if it hasn't already. And it's definitely worth, worth seeking out. Um, good film. Yeah, absolutely. A, a really, really good, really good movie. Eugenio Debrez, um, the also teacher in, in CODA, is mm-hmm. very much in the same spirit. Like, just an audience pleaser, a feel-good story, even though there are some sad plot beats and you you know you feel a lot of sympathy for these children in in this impoverished region of of mexico mm-hmm. um but just a great more well-rounded than i think he is mm-hmm. like a deeper character yeah yeah definitely uh I, let's we can circle back to bad behavior that being sort of the next one down shortcomings randall park's directorial debut randall park yep. known of course for mostly like his sitcom appearances um and uh agent jimmy woo in, in the mcu sure. uh sadly that's probably where most people know him from or the gym prank in in the office i guess but um yeah it, that's fair i i i like shortcomings it's about this kind of uh guy you know Dep- like extremely depressed but sort of in denial um and a, a breakup he goes through with with a girlfriend and and sort of being left behind by everyone else in his life as they mm-hmm. grow up and he but remains he's kind of a shithead yeah like, absolutely doesn't necessarily realize it in the moment i think justin min is really good so uh if anyone has seen uh after yang he plays yang and this is a very different role for him but I do think uh, he really commits to it. Like it's it's an right, end. yeah. Like it's I, a I think at, you know at this point, at, uh, just even off the back of After Yang, but uh, and then as this performance, this performance included now, anything he's in, I would I'd be excited to watch because he just he really brings his character to life, yeah. and it's you know, it, it, it's very he's very like whiny and annoying, um, <laughs> right? But also funny and relatable and and uh great i mean i, I like his two performance. performances in he brings exactly what the film he's in needs right um and i don't again i don't think this movie is all that great but i do think that he brings exactly what it needs um from his performance uh yeah it, it's not it's never I, I don't know this this movie was one that i felt like the tone was uneven throughout like it wants to be this sort of comedy about you know asian american representation in film is sort of a theme throughout and it employs this idea in a funny way 
until it becomes this drama about relationships. And it, it never really quite connects mm-hmm. in maybe the way that, I, I mean, I haven't read the, um, I don't know if it's a short story or or a book, but I think it's adapted from something, right? Um, I, I don't think it's quite exactly the reason that might have connected with people, but I, I do think there are interesting parts of this film, and I don't think it's like worth writing off completely. No, definitely not. Um, and then so we also saw Mama Cruz would be the next one down. Fine, I feel like it was fine. It's about an old woman you know, deciding that her sexuality is worth exploring. Yeah. Funny. Um, cat person. Dreadful. Yeah, it's it's bad. It definitely is not good. Um, this probably is based one that's going to get a, a broad release. So. What? Yeah, this it's based Yorker. off the article in New Yorker of the same title about a woman who has a sexual encounter with, with an older man. Um, yep. And he doesn't give a shit about her at all essentially in this in this encounter um they're just on completely different wavelengths and it's it's a commentary obviously on like um gender roles and dynamics especially in in the context of like consensual sexual encounters and why a woman might feel she has to like minimize her ability to say no um, right given how threatening men can be good execution not great yeah i completely agree so zach we got to talk about the film that we had the biggest disagreement about which is bad behavior a film uh starring jennifer Connolly and uh alice englert who is also the director uh this is a, a, a i guess something that i i found interesting or was drawn to because you know obviously jennifer Connolly was in top gun maverick um has kind of had her star shined a bit in the last little bit. Um, hated this movie, but you you liked it quite a bit. So talk a little bit about bad behavior. Okay, so I guess just off the top, we'll give a brief plot description. Um, the film is about uh, Jennifer Connelly's character. Her name Lucy. is Lucy. Yeah, um, she is sort of a washed up actress. Kind of a lost soul. Um, yeah, who has been sort of, uh, her life is kind of not where she expected to be at this point, And she's been sort of trying to um, get, kind of regain control of, of what she feels like is is, is a, a life she's lost control of. Um, she's not necessarily estranged from her, estranged from her daughter, but their relationship is, is tumultuous. Um, there's a lot of, resentment uh sort of both ways um and she has sort of gotten into this trend of like mindfulness and she wants to become more mindful uh, so the lovely ben wishaw paddington himself uh aptly uh named uh elon as yes a yeah. leader <laughs> is is uh sort of like a you know um eckhart toll figure uh a, a mindfulness coach and he's leading this retreat that is so, you know, and the film depicts it this way for a reason is, is almost like pretentious, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is more about the, this spiritual leader than, than the people actually trying to sure. better their lives in, in a sense, um, which creates a lot of, a lot of 
comedic uh, sort of <laughs> elements here. It's yeah. really ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But so Jennifer Connelly, Lucy, is trying to, you know, uh, be, be more mindful and become a better person, uh, which is where the title comes from. Bad behavior. She feels like she's sort of trapped in these loops, these these bad habits that are causing her to feel divided from herself and, and from her daughter and to not be the best person. Uh, and so th- that's that's what this movie is about, is sort of her journey, which then takes a really sharp left turn going into the third act in which she violently assaults another attendee of, of this retreat who, you know, to be fair, was kind of very annoying, it. was so <laughs> annoying, but in the funniest way, um, I love this movie. Uh, I, I, you might be the only one with a 2.2 average on letterboxd. I mean, it is, it is, uh, what it feels like it's, it's speaking like in its, in its own language. And if if you are a person that is is sort of familiar with with mindfulness and w- with with relationships, um, personal relationships that are sort of rooted in trauma and um, what I, I don't know, I don't know how to how to efficiently like describe this, but but basically it spoke to me on a level of because of like personal experience in my own life and and things that like I can think back on like yeah shit like that was like that the the way that these people especially lucy and her daughter like talk to each other um it struck me as as sort of uh real like like a sense give give like a sense of realism between people who who would feel this way towards each other um and just how how misery can be so privileged and people can look at you and think like, you know, what, what more do you want? Like you have, you have everything uh, at your fingertips here and like you, you're free to live your life in the way that you want. And w- there's really nothing holding you back there except yourself. And that, that's one of the best um, conversations in the movie for me is like uh, Lucy and, and her daughter having this, this confrontation after. Yeah. I actually did think that was good as well. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think that there is a point of this movie that you are not haven't spoken about yet, not like disregarding or anything. But this is a there is a dichotomy between the two paths that are going on in this movie. One mm-hmm. of them is uh, Jennifer Connelly's character at this retreat, but intermixed with that, given almost equal screen time, is her daughter played again by director. Um, Alice Engler, um, who is like a stunt woman at um, in New Zealand for like yeah she's production. she's on set you know she's she's yeah. doing a couple of different projects on in- she's on set but she she is basically like a stunt person mm-hmm. who is willing to risk her safety and well being uh, presumably because she never felt loved as a as a kid is like the the premise of this film which I I don't know I found to be a little bit shallow. But also the intercutting between these two narratives, eventually they converge together and I think become more interesting when it's mother and daughter together. But before that, just the pacing and the decisions of when to cut between them are really bizarre to me. I found myself unable to connect to either story fully because neither of them were really given any sort of depth 
to them. And then when they come together, it's a little bit more interesting, but mostly it's just like the sheer awkwardness of the situations that are going on in um, this retreat that make the film funny and like engaging. But I really, I, I found this to be not only a film that is not in like engaging or thematically interesting. Uh, I, I think it was incoherent thematically, honestly. And I think that in addition to that, it was really poorly put together. Like just as, as a, a piece of storytelling, the way it was told, the way it was cut together was um, almost nonsensical. I, I really, this was my least favorite film of the, the festival and I, I will stand by that. I mean, I think that seems to be the general consensus. Like this film is pretty <clears throat> widely regarded as as difficult to to engage with, right? Like, mm-hmm. and and uh, I, and I do agree with some of the, some of the you know I think some of your criticisms there are valid in terms of structure and pacing, but the level that this is operating on is something that I can is, is like such a clear vision to me. I think you know if we talk about like Shada and the Persian version and and this are all similar right they're all they're all um female filmmakers telling a deeply personal story mm-hmm. and this one to me is just a, a Alice uh Angler's voice is like so clear I see exactly what she's going for and I feel like if you if you don't have that sort of personal experience necessarily it's hard to to connect with and that feels like a deliberate choice in in some ways and and also is sort of just the messiness of un, unpacking these kinds of you know traumatic elements of, of personal relationships especially with a parent right like all in across all of those three three movies there's there's a sense of like a daughter disconnected from her mother's experience and and vice versa and while the other two, I mean, I, I think the Persian version is slightly uh, less triumphant for me, I, you know, in a sense, like I, I, of the three, I would say Shada than Bad Behavior than the Persian version, but um, there, there's something happening here that, that just speaks to me on a level that I completely understand. And no fault to anyone who doesn't feel that way, but uh, this one is is one that I will gladly revisit when it's available, uh, just because I find it so fucking funny and like in again, uh, like I talked about, you know, when we went over sometimes I think about dying, it's just so bleak. Yeah, and, and the humor, bleak. the humor in that bleakness though is like extremely my jam, and I, I, I I'm glad that. this movie found an audience somewhere. <laughs> um uh what was your overall takeaway from sundance like we've talked about i think at least briefly all the movies that we've seen um what did you think about the uh the slate this year um i don't know any last thoughts i mean there was a couple movies right because this is only what the third year that sundance has even offered offered uh online viewing right? yes because and it's of... the first year that they didn't offer the full schedule um online so you know with the pandemic the last couple years they had offered i I think last year they might have been back in person as well i'm not entirely sure but uh this is the first year definitely that they 
I, I think the experience that they went through, and especially for a, a festival like Sundance, where it is exposure to independent films, like doing an online uh, portion of it does make a lot of sense for them. And this was the first year that they were grappling with doing both that online film festival and the in-person experience that they have cultivated over the last, you know, however many years since Robert Redford started the whole thing. Um, and, and I think they balanced it well. Obviously there were some films that we were unable to see because they, you know, they were from major distributors that did not want to release them at home um, across the country. And I, I, that's understandable, but for me, I think it was still good to be able to see some of these films. Um, I, I think we still saw a lot of good ones. I think um, there were some that maybe didn't connect with us quite as well, um, maybe differing in our perspectives, but being able to see these were, were it was a, a good experience for uh, for me, at least. I, I, I thought so. Yeah, we've we've had a couple conversations, you know, um, this this uh, I guess it would be last season of the show about, you know, festival going and and that sort of experience. Um, This isn't one where we had the ability to necessarily go in person, but I I don't think I'll ever regret like watching a film in the context of like a showcase like this, especially for up and coming filmmakers or, you know, independent filmmakers. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's awesome. And that, that, that they're, that now there's further exposure and, uh, and accessibility for people who, who don't have, uh, the means to, to, you know, make the pilgrimage out to, to Park City. Um, that it's only good for, for, for the, Absolutely. For, for these artists. And that said, we would love to, uh, attend next year's Sundance. Yeah, I mean it's definitely on our on our on our on our our bucket list to to get out there and um to be to be part of the community that that actually does make it to the in-person screenings. Uh but I yeah, I mean I I love film as a medium and an art form and I'm glad to see it celebrated at, at anywhere. Uh and particularly what's cool about these is that they, you know, in most cases even in in person, one of the benefits is is getting to to hear the sort of thoughts and and intentions uh, of of these filmmakers afterwards in a Q and A, which we're lucky to see for some of these features broadcasts of those Q and A's afterward. And it's just you know we we host a movie podcast where we talk about where we talk about movies and like what it means to us or you know what what the film the films are communicating intentionally or not. And I think. I am so there for any discussion remotely like that. And, and I, yeah. I treasure these experiences. So I'm, I'm extremely happy with the, the, the slate of films that we did get to see, even the ones I was disappointed with, I don't regret watching them. And, you know, I, I would still urge anyone interested in movies at all to, to watch as much as they can. Sundance. It rocks. Go do it. <laughs>
All right, Zach, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Spinning the Reel. Uh, we've had an action-packed episode full of uh, football and cabin murders and film festivals. Um, where can the people find us? Uh, you can find all Spinning the Reel content on spinningthereel.com, R-E-E-L. Um I, when's the last time have you published anything lately? Okay. I, you know, every year I do a rundown of the Oscar nominees and I do intend to do that this, uh, this year as well with, uh, you know, a front runner, a dark horse, that kind of thing. Um, I just, I just gotta, I just gotta do it. And we've got until March plan on doing that. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd at Evan D26. Uh, that's probably the best way to find. You know, I usually do a review for every movie, so that's a that's a good way to find me. How about you, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I'm also on Letterboxd at uh, Painted underscore Dog. Um, you know, little snippets of, of reviews here and there, stuff that we don't necessarily get to uh, make an episode about, right? Um, every time, so yeah, if you want to hear more <laughs> about what I think, that's the place to find me. And who wouldn't want to hear more about what you think? Lots um, of people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as going forward, we are still hoping to get Cody back. We we miss you, buddy. But uh next week we are doing uh probably Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania, right? We're yeah. gonna go see that tomorrow as we record. No, that's it's um, next Thursday. Is it next Thursday? Yeah, yeah. Oh my the seventeenth. Thought it was this Thursday. Um anyway. I see how excited you are though. That's great. I'm I'm amped. Uh <laughs> and no idea what we're talking about next uh next Thursday, but we'll figure it out. Uh Hopefully be with you guys next week. Uh, I don't know with that. Any last words, Zach? Bye.